Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm pretty excited to have a transcontinental discussion be- with a friend and filmmaker straight out of Montreal, uh, Liz Singh. Hi. Hey, Liz. Uh, so I wanted to kind of uh, ask you a question about a movie you made, which I know you made um, recently called The Lower Plateau. Yeah. Uh, what about you know, it? Yeah, like, I guess, (laughs) you know, for people who are looking to make their first feature, uh, Mm -hmm. which this was your first feature length movie. Yeah. What, uh, what did you, did you think about, um, did you think about what you wanted to tell and how did you end up telling this particular story? Um, I think that with this one, it actually kind of came from the opposite place. Uh, I started from what I had and tried to tell a story within that. Um, so at the time, I was uh, bartending in, here in Montreal, and um, I knew a lot of uh, musicians and comedians and um, bars. So, <laughs> um, so I tried to write a story that fit into that world because I figured it would be easier to... Uh, to populate and find the resources to shoot and that was a little bit and then you know the the story itself pretty uh pretty generic heartbreak and existential angst so that was uh yeah i mean i guess that's something that people making their first movie and like an independent movie should probably consider is like what resources do i have where can i actually film what story can work within what I have available. So that's kind of- For sure. Cause like good. you might have an incredible story about a fleet of dragons, you know? It might be just a, just a wonderful script, but your ability as an independent filmmaker to make a good looking movie about a fleet of dragons <laughs> is pretty limited. It's not impossible, nothing's impossible, but um, that might be a bit of a challenge. So yeah, like trying to keep things, I think, pretty grounded and like within the world that you have access to can help a lot if you're trying to do independent production. Yeah, and I, I've known, you know, uh, uh, we occasionally get into filmmaking in this podcast and, you know, I definitely had some filmmakers on and I, I feel like there a lot of people who make their first films tend to kind of base it on their roots or where they are because of access and perhaps mm-hmm. know, knowing the area well right so you don't have to scout it as heavily because you know it because you maybe live there that kind of thing well and it's and it's just like it's also even just in terms of access to places to shoot right it's like people you're pals with and people you've worked with and like um so it kind of has to be like i think if you don't have um a ton of financing for that for your project then like having a a wide community can be really helpful (laughs) so i think that's also like where that's coming from it's like who can who can lend you a hand who can do you a favor (laughs) Uh, 
so yeah so there's a there's a little pro tip for anyone listening out there and who are fans of liz given she's given a little bit of a a little inside info on filmmaking um so for anyone who's not listened to the show before or or only tuning in for liz which is cool by me uh i asked someone a friend like liz to come on and tell a story they've never publicly told before and in some cases barely privately uh and just put it all out there (laughs) for my benefit and then we chat about it afterwards and you know kind of find out why this person had an amazing story that they've kind of withheld from public consumption so that's why liz is here uh i do want to give a shout out to the time where my wife and i which is how you know me which is how most of my guests are come on (laughs) is because of her want to give you a shout out for the time we came by your city of montreal and you were a gracious host and that was so fun yeah it was so i i miss uh non-covid life traveling experience. oh my gosh yeah. yes because we were in we went to like a crowded restaurant we went to like a to la banquise and it was like packed <laughs> yep crowded restaurants um yeah. no distancing yeah so long ago back in 2019 and before <laughs> oh, i know man but you know hopefully uh those days will return in some kind of form yeah we'll see uh but yeah i don't that's a bit of a sort of a downer upper because like it was a good experience but it's a downer that we can't do that in as of this taping in the old ways no, although although in fairness we are also we are also currently separated by considerable distance so even True. if it weren't for the pandemic, you and I would most likely be meeting via Zoom. <laughs> no, that, that's true too. Yeah, there's there's actually just physically flying out to you. <laughs> yeah, it's a ways. It's uh, not around the corner. Yeah, uh, but uh, lovely city, Montreal. I really enjoy that city. Anyways, uh, that should be a positive to kind of launch into. I don't know what you're going to tell, and oftentimes I don't, which is kind of part of the fun of this series as well. So, you know, Liz... Uh, Maybe I'll ask questions here and there as, as you go, you know, just to please do ask, yeah. just to clarify or whatever, but by all means, you know, whenever you're ready to share. Oof. Okay. So this was, um, this was tough for me because uh, if anybody listening knows me and from what I'm sure you know of me, I'm a very open person. So I got really stuck on the, um, that you've never told before part of the assignment. Right. because there's there's just so there's just so few things that I don't immediately put out <laughs> you know? like something embarrassing happens and my instinct is definitely to like turn to Facebook and say like I just did this ridiculous um this ridiculous thing so I had to think uh pretty hard. So I was like I, at first I thought there was there really wasn't anything that I hadn't repeated you know over and over and that like stories that people were sick of hearing um and then I remembered this one which I think that um I think that until I decided to do this, I had only told this story to maybe three or four people. Okay. Um, <laughs> that can, no, that that counts for the show. That totally okay. counts for the show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. And, and in my world, that's the same as never having spoken a word. <laughs> no, totally, yeah. This was a tightly kept secret by my standards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, uh, I'll, I guess I'll start with the punchline and then like work my way back. Oh, interesting, is, okay. Yeah, um, which is that I lost my master's thesis. Um, 
it was a short film and it lived on a hard drive and now it is no more because I lost it. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) now, now you, now you got to fill in the details. Now the, now the backstory of how, uh, how a human being could screw up so badly. And like, there's not really like within this story, there's not really like an explanation for how a person could screw up this badly. There's, there's a, a working theory um, as okay. to what exactly happened here. Um, so I guess I've got, I wrote an outline. Like I said, I wrote a little. Like, oh, nice. Uh, well, I, I get nervous. So. <laughs> should I, should I tout your academic credentials for? Oh my gosh. What, are, are those, are those relevant to this? I mean, they come, you mean USC? I just mean like you're well-educated McGill University, University of Southern California, scholastic arts film arts so to have an outline for the story i think (laughs) is like very astute very studious very you know um wow oh again the extra irony of of saying that when really like what i've come here to tell you and whoever's listening is that i am totally chaotic um (laughs) basically like the status quo of this story is that um I have an extremely messy brain. Um, it's something that I spend a lot of energy hiding and coping with. Um, I lose things. I forget things. I misplace things. I have a completely warped sense of time um, in which I try to do much, much more. I was, I was late today, you know, um, much, much more than is physically possible in the time that's allotted to me. And I'm regularly scrambling um, to make up for that. And it's, manifested itself like my entire life. Um, I've gotten better and better at faking it and covering up for it in my professional life, like going so far as like I've chosen jobs that allowed me some messiness and I've like, um, you know, like learned like coping mechanisms for other things, but it's always there. And when things get more stressful and or are more important to me, these things are more likely to happen. Like when the stakes are high, (laughs) Mm. um that's when things really start to like spiral out of control for example so in Canada um November 11th uh which is my mother's birthday is a national holiday um people wear little red flowers it's remembrance day in, in memory of World War II I have twice forgotten my mother's birthday okay it is 11 11 <laughs> and the entire country is wearing a physical reminder <laughs> it's not only written in the calendar it is published in the calendar because it's statutory holiday um and i have forgotten twice so uh you know we uh you mentioned usc and um my story takes place in 2012, which is the year that I graduated from USC at the start of the year. And it was also the convergence of like just some of the most stressful things that had ever happened to me. Like, first of all, I'm finishing grad school. Yeah. So like wildly high. Um, I'm in LA, which I wasn't good at. I was very, very bad at living in LA and surviving in LA. And um I immediately got his job as an assistant. Um, so I was I was struggling to stay afloat, both managing my life wise, you know, working these wild hours and um, not making a ton of money. One of the one of the notes I made is that I used to put gas in my car like five dollars at a time so I could keep as much cash as I could in my pocket. 
Mm. And my car once uh, ran out of gas on the corner of Beverly and Vermont because of this technique. Um, and two men on the street had to like push it into a, oh, into wow. a gas station. Um, so that was... Real, real quick, sorry. Uh, you were an assistant yeah. uh, at a production company or like a non Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm like using this like shorthand with you. And I'm like, yeah, I was an assistant uh, slash creative executive at a production company. Got it. Got um, it. Okay. Got it. So, well, in development. Um, and uh, so it's like, it's a hectic life, right? Like it's, uh, it's right. ironically, you're doing a lot of organizing for somebody else um, and you're working these like really monster days. Like I would, you know, often work from 10 to 10 and just like get back like exhausted. Um, you know, you're, you're like expected to like socialize all the time, like on top of like your job, you're supposed to be like going out and, um, and meeting people in the industry. And I was doing this obsessively, um, as well as that was the year that I was producing Farrah Goes Bang. Um, and yeah. Oh, shout out, shout out Mira Menon, past yeah, guest on the show. Shout out to Mira and the Farrah Goes Bang team. So that was, that was going on that year. Um, and I had this project, I had my thesis project, which, um, you know, wasn't finished. I had graduated with it. Uh, I had, you know, in, in kind of a style, I had hedged my bets by also writing a script. So I was safe, like credits wise, Got but it. I had made this project um, and it was, uh, it was picture edited, but the animation wasn't done and it wasn't sound mixed. Okay. Um, and I did not have the money to finish this thing. I did not have the time to finish this thing. I was completely overwhelmed by it. I don't know why any rational person would choose as like their first documentary, the Israel-Palestine conflict, but I did. And it was a mistake. <laughs> 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 that is not, um, yeah. So that added a whole, you know, dimension of stress and anxiety to the entire yeah. thing. Um, so, you know, but needless to say, like 2012, I was tapped out. Like I was, um, I was crying all the time. I used to, I used to get in my car to drive to work and I would cry the whole way to work. Sometimes I would leave work at lunch to go cry in my car. And then I would get in my car at the end of the day and cry all the way home. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, so I had this, I had this project and, um, midway through the year, like one of the big kind of, the big kind of events of the year was I managed to miss the lottery for visas to stay so oh. yeah <laughs> the hits just keep on coming um so I basically at that point like in my mind I had failed out of Hollywood you know I had failed out of Los Angeles I had like you know worked my whole life towards this like you know hope and dream of getting to this place of being in LA and I had screwed up um so badly that I was just like tumbling out of it um, and I was, you know, kind of tr trying to figure out what to do. Um, and this was like, this was like a pretty, a pretty low point. And um, another shout out, shout out to Peter Solit, who um, had coffee with me while I was like going through all of this. And, you know, I said to him, like, you're right, like, I'm, I'm barely holding on by a thread because he, you know, he had always said, like, I think, Liz, I think what you really want to do is go to Montreal and make movies. I don't think you even want to be here. <laughs> Um, and I would always say like, no, but like, this is, this is Hollywood. Like you can't just, you can't make movies anywhere, you know, like you make movies in LA, people come to LA to make movies. I came to LA. I want to make movies here. And I remember saying to him, you know, like if I get up on the roof of my building, I can see the Hollywood sign. And he goes, yeah, Liz, but it's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, you're no closer to that sign in Echo Park 
than you would be if you were in Montreal. And I was like, damn. So I'm in this, you know, I, I agree with him to some degree, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to go home. I had no choice really at this point. So I'm, I'm packing my stuff. And at this point, like, you know, we're, we're late 2012. I can't describe myself as being in anything, but like a haze. I'm like physically sick. I didn't know, but I had like a, a chronic illness that was like undiagnosed. So I'm like falling apart, not thinking straight. And about 10 days before I'm supposed to go, I pack up my car to take, um, to take this stuff to Goodwill to take, you know, like you, you do when you're, when you're leaving somewhere. Yeah. And I have a distinct memory of telling one of the volunteers at the Goodwill to just take everything in the trunk. And I totally forgot that that included this hard drive. Oh, oh my. Um, I had left it there because I, you know, I didn't have the money to do the next steps of production and I just didn't know what the heck to do with this thing. And like, I was, I had every intention of finishing, um, but it was just like living there, you know, overwhelming me. Yeah. Until it wasn't. Um, and by the time I put that together, you know, the place had, had gotten rid of, what the fuck were they going to do with a, with an old hard drive? Right. Um, and I panicked because I couldn't admit this to anybody, you know, like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't say to anybody who had worked on this, like, um, you know, and like, I, I've been working on that project. It was a documentary. I'd worked on that project at that point for like two years. Oh, um, man. And I just, I just didn't, what, what do you say? Right. So I packed my stuff. I came home with this like incredibly stressful secret. Um, and I didn't say a word for years. Um, back to Montreal, I, I started bartending. Um, I slowly figured out how to piece together an independent production. I was terrified to tell anybody about it because what if I couldn't finish? What if I didn't, you know, what if I, what if I lost it? Um, and honestly, the lower plateau actually lives on like four different hard drives <laughs> spread, spread across two provinces. Um, <laughs> one of them lives with my parents in Windsor for this reason, because I was, I didn't tell my parents that I was shooting the lower plateau um, because I was, I was way too nervous that something was going to happen that was going to prevent me from finishing it because I had kind of shown myself that I wasn't, I wasn't a responsible person, you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't to be trusted with big with big things. And I don't think that I, I felt like I was holding my breath in this way. I would, I would, you know, like lie awake at night, like stressed out about this thing that I hadn't told anybody. Um, and I don't think I started to relax even a little bit until the premiere of the lower plateau until I was like, this thing is now officially out of my hands. Like I finished something, you know, like I started something yeah. and I took it all the way uh, to the end. Um, and at this point I, I'd really, um, I had learned to cope with and rearrange my life around my messy brain. So throughout the pr production of the lower plateau, I had learned to ask for help with things. Like I had learned to ask for backup. Um, I had chosen jobs that allowed me to 
start later in the day that didn't rely on, you know, the kind of like office stuff that you have to do in Hollywood, like being a place 15 minutes early, looking a certain way when you got there, you know, having your nails and hair and whatever, all like just being put together. Like LA is such a slick place. Like communication has to happen instantly. If you don't get back to an email, a text message or whatever it is in 15 minutes, people assume that you're dead on the side of the road, you know, and they don't give a shit either. They only care about the answer to their email. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so outside of that environment, I did a lot better, you know, and I became a street worker at a nonprofit where like people were really understanding of like different kinds of brains and different kinds of um, coping and working. And then this year, um, basically like the reason that I'm telling you all of this now and have been able to even sort of like cope with it um, is the pandemic happened. And, uh, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I went from being a full-time frontline worker to coordinating a frontline team. And it's been an incredibly stressful year uh, and also one that offered a lot of time for reflection. And I started to kind of think about me and stress and my brain and all of these things that I'd been hiding, all of this like depression and anxiety and like why was it so hard for me to, you know, keep track of things and manage myself? And I stumbled onto ADHD TikTok. Um, so TikTok, like any other part of the internet, there's lots of TikToks, you yeah. know, like, just like on Reddit, right? There's like, Reddit, there's like, am I the asshole Reddit? And then there's like, alt-right Reddit. And then there's like, socialist reddit you know um and on tiktok there's like uh you know there's like dancing tiktok and there's like messy tiktok where people cry about their breakups and then there's like cute baby tiktok and then there's like adhd tiktok which is this section of tiktok where people with attention deficit disorder talk about their lives hmm. and TikTok's algorithm is really, really good at bringing you back to the things that you're kind of like, like really into. And I started to see more and more of these videos in my feed. And I started to really recognize myself in the thing that they were saying. And through that kind of go back to some of these things that I'd been feeling very bad about and understand them maybe through a different light. So I guess to sum up, what I'm saying is, I think that I have undiagnosed ADHD and it led to me losing my master's thesis. That's my story. Wow. Uh well, I th yeah, let's spend some time unpacking this, if you don't mind. Uh, I would love to. Did that yeah. make sense? Is that coherent? Yeah. Yeah, your story, your storyteller makes total sense. You did kind of the, I'm going to give you the ending, and then we're going to talk about how it all happened type of film, you know? <laughs> like that, where you're like, oh, I wonder how she got there, and then we learned. It's like, how, like Titanic. How to... <laughs> this, is like, this is like Titanic, sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what, I mean, that's what it felt. It's, the stakes were that high for me. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I mean, my immediate thought, uh, because we we know each other, 
uh, is I remember that time period in your life, but I didn't know that you were going through that. I knew you as my spouse's friend. And so mm-hmm. when we would see each other, it was most of the time in a some type of social setting uh, and it was all pleasant and it was all good. And like, right. Like yeah. I saw you as like crazy, like very open. I didn't mean mm-hmm. like, I didn't mean crazy as in like, I meant like mad open, like super outgoing and like kind of fun to chat with. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so no, I, pre, pre, me personally, no idea that there's this other, all these things that you were dealing with. Uh, which uh, is le- legitimately like, you know, traumatic and difficult. It's interesting, like, like you said, like um, your mindset or your personality, like the things you're working through. Uh, actually, LA is probably one of the most worst places to live for it really? because, and it's p- specifically Hollywood because there's sort of like a systemic way how people <laughs> do things and. hopefully hopefully more people will try to like undo some of that but yeah generally it's like such an a type alpha atmosphere and uh sort of like people at the top it doesn't matter if they're organized or unorganized or whatever you have to be as if you're in a support position and even sometimes unfairly unorganized and on call and yeah it's a really, really tough work environment and uh I could see how so that's crazy that you're taking a full-time job doing that, trying to graduate. Uh, and then luckily you hedged your bets and you had like another project you could turn yeah. in and then producing a feature length movie, by the way, Farrah Goes Bang directed mm-hmm. by uh, our friend Mir. Another Rinna. one of Jin's friends. Mira. Another one of Jin's friends. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I just kind of asked Jin's friends to come through <laughs> on here. Um, so yeah, so I guess like, um, I guess what, and this might be an obvious question, but what was it? What was it about the pandemic that was allowed you to basically reflect? You know, because for me, for example during this time during this time yes i've had more time to reflect if i if i wanted to use it that way but i'm just full i'm just full i'm just anxious so like if i had time it's i I just it's just filled with angst and i'm like i can't do i can't like do anything with the quote free time to think you know because i'm already i'm i'm in my head on uh people aren't wearing masks down the street here they you know whatever like i'm concerned about health and stuff so what what was it about the pandemic that well i mean i think i think exactly that honestly but i think um i think that my my stress level was so high that um i had to i had to reflect on it i had to reflect on what it was doing to to my mind to my body to um you know, why, why was I, because one of the things about my messy brain is that like, I get stuck on intrusive thoughts. Um, I get like really, really down and, and bleak. And I was like, I can't, I can't keep going like this. It's not functional. Um, and starting to recognize a pattern too, you know, the first time, um, that things have unfolded this way, it's like, what's, what's going on? Like, it's not just your stress, but it's how that stress manifests and impacts, you know, impacts you in your life. Um, so, and I, you know, I, I think also realizing like, I, I live alone. 
and um, and being this degree of isolated started to make me realize how much I compulsively interact with other people to keep my mind occupied. Um, oh yeah, I get that. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, right, right, right. I was bartending before and doing street work. I was my whole life was chat chit chatting with people wherever and whenever. I could and like you've seen me on social media like I just talk and talk and talk and like um all of a sudden that was harder I had to <laughs> I had to delete Bumble a couple of weeks ago because I realized I wasn't so much dating as just compulsively interacting <laughs> <laughs> with strangers you know um and and yeah like it's it's uh I think it's mostly that that aloneness like that was always my worst nightmare I live to be surrounded by people and distractions and absent those people and distractions like it yeah like it, it felt like being I I was I was losing it low-key for for a little bit there I just didn't know what to do um and I've got to say like the TikTok part of it um I I had been thinking about ADHD for a while um, I have friends who had, I have an ex who, who really struggles with it. And I wasn't, it wasn't the same as it was in him. So I was kind of like, oh, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's the same thing, but, um, and I had started to kind of look at some of the tips and stuff for dealing with it. And I was like, okay, that would be helpful, you know? Um, and then TikTok just like sealed the deals. TikTok started as one more stupid distraction, one more click, click, click. Can I just interact, interact, interact? Um, and then it kind of led me to these videos and I was like, what, what do I like about these videos? Why would I want to watch this? You know, why is this telling me I like watching this? Um, and then I realized it was because it felt good to feel seen. Um, I was like, I felt recognized every time somebody said, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with blank. And I was like, me too. <laughs> and it was weird stuff that like the normals didn't seem to be struggling with to the same degree. Uh, and I kind of just based on the story and um, what you've been talking about too, is like, perhaps, you know, all the, all your work is involving mingling, chattering, interacting with people, uh, but it's also sort of in a way not focused. Totally. Like it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's untargeted conversation. Right. So then you see TikTok where it's like giving you a tools or, information yeah. you need for a specific your specific stuff that you're dealing with um it's helpful um yeah i have uh so i have a theory uh and for i must qualify that i i do not have any sort of professional training in mental health or anything like that this is just mm -hmm. this is just us spitballing and chatting but uh i feel like in some ways you know if you look at it because we're filmmakers, so we can look at the story as like a macro thing. Uh, oh. I feel like in some ways, losing your thesis was like a good turning point. <laughs> because you literally left the, tra the trappings of Hollywood behind. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you fully became a filmmaker. So the idea is like, you know, you came to Hollywood at least initially thinking that's where I need to be to be a filmmaker and yeah. you go you go through SC and learn the system there but in actuality what you needed to be a filmmaker was to leave all that behind wow 
right? Because you go to Montreal and you make a film about the Lower Plateau, and it's like out in the world now. And and, uh, I, and I made and I made a film I could have honestly, honestly never made in LA. Like I made that film in a Montreal way with like the Montreal community spirit of people kind of pitching in and and showing up for each other. Um, no, no offense, LA, but LA's got a little bit more of that rat race vibe, you know, like it's um resources are scarce people are competitive um and people are uh i don't know but just polished in a way that i never slick in this way that i never managed to get to i always felt so messy there um and yeah like i think that i think that's definitely like that's a cool way to look at it for sure like um, and the lower plateau ended up being about some of that right like it ended up being about like getting really really close to your dreams and then not and then what do you do? You know, do you say like, well, that's it. Like I shot my shot. Um, or do you brush yourself off and, you know, try again? Because at the end of the day, like it's not really about the big lights or the big sign. <laughs> um, it's just about getting to do the thing. Um, and I do think that's why I can talk about it now because, you know, like we're, um, we're shooting a short film. We got a, a grant for it, and um, oh, awesome! Congrats! And like, thank you so much. Um, and I, I feel like I'm doing the thing, you know, like the thing that I wanted to do. So it's okay that I didn't get to do it that time on my thesis. Um, I got to do it now, and I'm, I'm still, I'm, I still feel bad, and I'm sorry to all of the people who helped me make that project. And I absolutely didn't mean for that to happen. And you know, oh yeah, yeah. But I mean. <laughs> At least you theoretically possibly lost it at the Goodwill. So maybe somewhere in the United States, <laughs> there's like a young filmmaker that's like, you know, I there's this Palestinian Israeli content that I just need to do something <laughs> with. I need to just finish this someone's project. I don't know. Like maybe someone, maybe you've inspired um, <laughs> someone. But I was I was gonna say like you know, because even project wise like. I would argue what your documentary was about was something that probably people would say, oh, that's an interesting story to do. It's, mm -hmm. it's quote, like a hot topic or right. like, a you know, and I feel like going to, going to SC, you know, you learn how to work in a big system and you learn to, to think about projects that have a large appeal when maybe, you know, it, it doesn't give you the, a tour like education of like well what's yeah. what are you about what do you want to do as an individual so you know yeah I've, I mean, I've noticed that and I also I've been work you know working in Hollywood or like whatever long enough to just met met a lot of people that are actually pretty successful mm -hmm. uh, and they're like really unhappy <laughs> it's like and that to me that's kind of like almost more depressing in a way I think that there's something about life in LA and I noticed this last time I visited and I saw a couple of like our mutual pals um, who are like working in the industry and are by every measure wildly successful, you know, like just doing the stuff that other people go, how do you even get there? How is that even possible? But once you're in Hollywood, like People think of Hollywood as like breaking in and there's like one circle, but it's actually this series of concentric circles. And oftentimes I find as people get closer and closer, they think more about the circles ahead of them than the ones they've already broken 
into, you know? So yeah, I'm a filmmaker, but I'm not Tarantino. I'm not Scorsese. I'm not, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, it's a little bit hard to see your successes when you're still, you're still pushing, you're still hustling, you're still, you know, driving um, towards the the external manifestation and the, and the peaks of success, right? Because in LA success can look like an Oscar. It can look like the absolute pinnacle. People have a hard time stopping and smelling the roses or just recognizing like what they did is fantastic. Um, If you told me like, you know, a few years back, like, you're going to make a feature film. You're going to throw it on YouTube for free and, and 2,500 views is going to feel like a win. You know, I might've said like, I don't know if that's worth it, but like, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, to- I'm not totally like, you like how many people can say they made a movie, a full length movie. Not, you know, that's not a large list um, ultimately. And, uh, and yeah, fun, you know, and it was, it was fun to do it. And like, that was, um, I think one of the things, like, as soon as I let go of that thing of trying to like make it in Hollywood and I just focused on making a movie, I had so much fun doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, and I can see that, you know, like I, I've, I've seen the lower plateau and, it's like you when you watch that you can tell the filmmaker knows that community mm-hmm. uh which you do and I, I think those are always kind of great stories to watch when you can just feel like that person is sharing something about this them in the story mm-hmm. you know what i mean so mm-hmm. um well yeah i feel like we've we've not really trashed Hollywood, but we've definitely like lifted a veil a little bit on some of it. And, you know, there's actually, yeah, you're right. Like there's, it's not a great environment for someone that just wants to like find some happiness, I guess. Yeah. I think, and and don't get me wrong. Like, I think that, I think a lot about La La Land and Moonlight and um, the night of our rap party for the Lower Plateau was the, was the night of those Oscars, the night of Moonlight and La La Land. And um, I, I think that like La La Land to me is such an incredible LA movie. It's such an incredible Hollywood movie. You can't do that almost anywhere else in the world. Those, oh, that opening sequence on the highway with the dancing, like the talent, it's, it's, a, it's spectacular, you know? And then you have something like Moonlight that is this little heartfelt movie, you know, with like effectively only two main characters, um, but this this beautiful music and this incredibly moving story, and like they're both they're both amazing. They're both like the beauty of film, and I think they're just you know just two examples of of different ways that you can approach this medium depending on who you are and like what works for you. I do have a, I do have a final question, but just to, I love questions. (laughs) Just a a critique of what you said. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like La La Land is a movie I have a hard time relating to because I feel like it's not the Los Angeles I live in. Oh, very true. And Moonlight, I feel like is a movie that to me feels very intimate to where I'm like, Whoever whoever made this, you know, knows what they know some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, or like 
the the people involved making this project brought something personal to it and i feel like they're sharing their yeah. their lives you know and even if it's all fictional but i feel like there's some something there that i can relate to even though i can't relate to it at all on a on a more the one the one moment um and it's really more funny than anything um where i got a little emotional during la la land is when um she sings that song she sings a song about artists and their and their messy lives and um and the song is sort of about how brave it is, <laughs> how brave it is to be an artist. And I remember kind of tearing up and then being like, am I crying about how brave I am? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, but that's, but that's for some people, that's what they want. They want a fantasy. They don't want the grit of reality. They want matching dress dresses that match your purse, that match the wall, that match the decor, you know, that match your roommate's dress. And I think, yeah, like, um, it's just part of what you're like, what are you seeking out from the experience? Do you want to get away from it all? Do you want to, yeah, do you want to fly with fleets of dragons? Or do you want to do something like like tangerine or or salam or you know salam bombay or um yeah moonlight uh which are about our real lives and like what the world is is actually like yeah i mean obviously there's room for both and i think there's yeah you will want different things at different times but uh i just there's a part in la la land where they're in chinatown and i was like hey i hang out in chinatown like how come i'm not in the back I'm not, where, where am I? Like, I've, you should, why am I not walking down the street? In that One of the space? most telling, telling things about Hollywood fantasies is who they choose to include in them. <laughs> well, that that's super deep. Uh, but I did want to close out the show, which I do a lot with uh, my guests is just, it's not a hard question. It's just, you know, I've asked you to tell a publicly, I mean, I've, I've, I've asked you to tell a personal story publicly that, is very revealing, which it is. It tells a lot about, you know, your, what you've been going through and stuff. Um, yeah, how do you feel now that anyone in the world can hear this tale? I'm still a little scared. I think that um, I told you that I'd only told three or four people before I talked to you about the podcast. But then in the couple of weeks before, I did tell this story to a couple of others because I was kind of testing it out, you know, practicing like as I do. And um, every time I expected I was gonna get in trouble, I thought people were gonna say, how could you be so terrible? Um, and so I think that there's still a part of me that's expecting that reaction when this is public, that's expecting people to say like, how could a person just be so careless, like be so, um, I don't know, almost like spoiled, like, you know, like wasteful. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm still like a little bit nervous, but I definitely, I have been reassured by the fact that like, so the other reason I did it was because I, I downloaded this book on tape about ADHD. And one of the things that the author said was start telling people these things that you've been holding on to. And you'll find that they don't react the way you think they're going to, they don't tell you you're a terrible person. And I have honestly found that so far to be my experience with telling this story that 
um, people for sure can see they can they can see why it was stressful and they can see you know why um, it would have bothered me the way it did, but no one has no one's been mad at me. Um, so that's kind of a nice a nice thing, and I do think that the more I've told it. Um, the calmer I felt inside. Um, because like I said, like, I think I really, I wanna be moving more and more towards a life where I can just be transparent about this uh, with the people around me and see it as a difference and not a failure. Um, Cause I think that that's gonna both make it easier on me <laughs> um, and also lead to generally, uh, to generally better results. Um, for all involved. So I actually really appreciate uh, you creating this platform um, for people to do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, pleasure's all mine. Uh, so I, I mean, that's a really nice way to, to end. And no, I, I do not think you're a terrible person at all. I just, I think you had a really rough 2012 is what I think. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. And thanks to Liz for being on. Hey, if you'd like to know when our next new episode comes in, it's easy. You can subscribe for the best story I never told. That's right, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher.